It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. He said, let's play the intro clip. We didn't play Hey guys, I'm Sai and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation, the home of the Danny Batten Fight Show. This is episode number 78 and we are live for uh, the first time in quite a while. We haven't done this one live for a while, but in a new uh, a new time slot and day. So I'm looking forward to uh, chatting some MMA and of course some boxing. And uh, of course we had an incredible UFC card from last night to talk about. But uh, the first portion of the tonight's show is going to be predominantly on boxing, which is it's a it's a reverse a role reversal for us. We're normally mainly MMA with, with a little bit of uh, boxing. So uh, the show is as usual live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and uh, uh, Ace Podcast Nation, of course, your home to many other great shows and series featuring top guests, expert analysts, and more. So uh, please do give us a follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel, click the bell for notifications, and uh, you can get the audio versions at all the usual podcast platforms. If you just search Ace Podcast Nations, there's well over 400 shows on all types of subjects. But uh, with no further ado, let's get into it. First and foremost, uh, joining me as ever, my co-host, I suppose, might be definitely a legend of the fight game, is a uh, former Cage Warriors champion, it is Mr. Danny Button. How are you, my friend? Yeah, good, sir. I'm enjoying this warm weather, although not so keen when I'm training in a gi. I'm training the old jiu-jitsu. Oh, damn. I mean, the gi weighs a few kilos at the beginning, but my goodness, it weighs a few more at the end of the session enjoying this heat. But it's all good. It's all good for the weight. You know, it gets it off. The thing is as well, Dan, is after the year we've just had with COVID and stuff, I'm pretty sure you'll take being a bit hot in the gi. You know what I mean? It's been a long year. I'm surprised how much I suffer with the, the, the summer months with the heat and training. When I say suffer, I don't mean it in a bad way. I think it's, it's great to get hot and sweaty and, and roll about or I wouldn't do it. But, um, yeah, every year I'm just like, oh, my God, I, I forgot what it was like last year or previous year, sorry. And um, 
yeah, but it's all good. I, I'm, I'm glad I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's an age thing that has made them afraid. The heat is uh, getting to you. But um, tonight's guest is someone who really knows his onions, and uh, I'm delighted to welcome back to the channel, but first time on the fight show. Uh, he definitely knows what uh, he's talking about when it comes to the sweet science of boxing. Uh, so I'm welcome to uh, boxing media personality and trainer, Mr. Ben Doty. Welcome, Ben. How are you, mate? Thank you, Simon. I'm good. Uh, delighted to be back, and good to meet you too, Danny. Yeah, yeah, good to meet you as well, Ben. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, lad, because, as I said, Ben, me and Danny, uh, both of us really are more predominantly in, in the MMA side of things with uh, with our knowledge. Um, and certainly, you know, Danny knows a bit more than me uh, when it comes to both subjects. You know, that's not a secret. But I'm looking forward to discussing some of the subjects because what I wanted to do is I wanted to get someone who is purely boxing on because I wanted to get their opinions on some of the subjects which me and Danny have kind of touched on over the past month or so, because there's been some big stories. Um, but before we get into what some would say, I suppose, would be some negative side of uh, of boxing and, and social media and things like this. I wanted to ask you a bit about a couple of, um, in my opinion, two uh, courageous and heroic British boxers. First and foremost, I wanted to talk about... Uh, Billy Joe Saunders, who I know is someone you know uh, well, yeah. um, put up. Uh, yeah, I thought he fought incredibly well versus Canelo. And I, I going off my very bad memory, I, I believe me and Danny uh, had the fight very, very close up into the point where it was finished. But how did you think uh, Billy did in the fight overall, first and foremost? I thought he did fantastically well, considering he hadn't as as. Um... You know, he was a two-time world champion, all the rest of it, but he'd never boxed an opponent of Canelo's kind of level and magnitude before. I thought Billy handled all the pressure uh, in the lead-up to the fight very well, which I, I imagined he would do. Even you see him walk into the ring in that incredible atmosphere and he looked just like he he, he was enjoying it and thinking, this is all for me and I'm going to be victorious tonight. And then I thought, I thought he did a remarkably well in the fight as well. I thought he was very competitive. The only thing I would say... And I, I spoke to Jimmy Tibbs a couple of days ago and caught up with him and he made the same point that I think Billy Joe was boxing out of his skin to be that competitive with Canelo. Whereas as much as I love my mate Billy Joe, Canelo was going through the gears and taking his time and turning up the heat, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and I think I saw afterwards, as is always the case with social media, um, Danny, as we do, you know, P Billy Joe took like a bit of criticism, people saying that, he gave up and and this that and the other, but from for you know from my point of view, like if you've got a fractured or, or I think it was a fractured orbital bone, like you can't carry on taking shots to the face and to the head, you know it's it is just one of those things, um, and I know I think you said a similar at the time, Danny, but it what um, Ben, what did you think of the the way the fight ended? I guess. I think it was a shame because I think it did. Had he have stayed in there till the final bell or even got stopped in a more conclusive, more typically heroic out in the shield way, I think he would have come back to a lot of credit. Or let's suppose, I mean, I had Billy Joe actually around up um, when the fight finished, but I do acknowledge the fact Canelo was going through the gears and had a lot more to, to give. But um, had Billy Joe lost in another way other than still retirement, basically, I think that it would have been more ideal. And I think it probably is... I think the criticism probably has bothered him to some extent, whether he lets on or not. I think mm -hmm. the comments about Daniel Dubois 
beforehand when he said, "Listen, get carried out of that ring, brother." You know, uh, mm. you know, I'd have to be dead before before I would quit. Things like that. I think I think that's a little bit unfortunate because it's no matter what you say, it, it was um, a fight changing injury. It might even be a life changing injury. It could even be a career changing injury. We don't know at this stage, but unfortunately, because of that nature. Some people have jumped on the bandwagon and said, well, he doesn't deserve any sympathy, it's karma. And I, personally, as, as a friend of Billy Joe, I just wish it hadn't have ended like that. Do you know what I mean? I wish we'd have seen either a conclusive stoppage or else just even a points defeat if he was going to lose the fight. Yeah, was it, just to clarify, um, Ben, was it the trainer, which, was it his trainer which stopped it? Okay, this is the, the there, was a, there was a difference of opinion or versions of events on this, Simon. Okay. Ben Davison says um, that he intervened. Ben Davison wasn't part of the training team per se, but he and Billy Joe are very close and have obviously worked together in the past. So Billy Joe obviously wanted him there on the night. So even though he hadn't trained with Billy Joe and Mark Tibbs in the run-up to it, he was there anyway with Devin Haney, you know, in, in the States. Mm. And he was part of that corner or he was certainly had access to the corner on the night. Now, he says he... Ben Davidson's side of it is that Mark Tibbs looked a little bit indecisive. Uh, I suppose he could, even though Mark's been in the game a lot longer and is more of a kind of old school pedigree, he could argue that Mark hasn't had the experience he has at the highest level in things like, you know, his experience with Tyson Fury and whatnot. So he said somebody had to get in there and tell him the fight was over. And he did that. Um, Billy Joe, both Ben Davidson and Billy Joe adamant that Billy Joe wanted to carry on and said, no, don't pull it. And they said, that's why he was shaking his head. Some people were saying he shook his head because he was saying he didn't want to go on. He was saying, no, he was shaking his head saying, don't stop it. Mark Tibbs begs to differ and says, I wanted to give him another round. He said, I said to him, I'm going to give you another round, Joe. And he and he reckons he shook his head in response to that. That's simply the difference of opinion, you know. I mean, yeah. I don't... I, I don't have a great deal of interest in getting caught in the crossfire of that and nailing no, my colours to the mask because I'm friendly with Jimmy Tibbs, Mark Tibbs, you know, I'm friendly with Billy Joe, Ben Davidson, I know him as well. But that is a difference of opinion, honestly, you know. And I know, I don't know if you picked up on it, but there were some interviews with Mark Tibbs that were pulled from social media for whatever reason, um, okay. which led some people to conclude that the narrative was being pushed from the fighter's side yeah, and, uh, and all the rest of it. But I don't know. Um, ben Davidson said... Billy Joe says Ben Davidson stopped the fight. He said he told him even before he sat down, it's over. Whereas Mark Tibbs said he wanted to give him another round, but he didn't, from the body language and everything else, he didn't see what he needed to see to justify that. So then Mark went along with the idea that it should be stopped. And what was the, what was the, like the final injury? Was it, a, was it a fractured orbital bone? I, the word, the term I heard was quadrupod fracture, which is supposedly when you break it in four places. That's what it sounds like to me. See, this is the thing, um, Danny and Simon, what some people are saying, Billy Joe will never be short of detractors because he's that kind of character. People might say a Marmite type of character. And because he's done a few kind of near-the-knuckle things on social media over the years, some people wait him for him to, to lose in some way that they regarded as humbling. And consequently, he's getting the stick. And what, what some people are saying is, why haven't we seen any photographs of his injuries? Why haven't we seen any scans now, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, fighters are not obliged to show you scans. You don't have to show everything on social media. Fighters don't have to show you proof that they had surgery. But some people hate Billy Joe sufficiently. They're saying, how do we know he even had the same injury as Dubois or anybody else? And why has he been driving recently? Because, you know, he, he posts stuff on social yeah. media when he's been out for a, a cruise in his new motor or whatever. But So some people are even sceptical about that. But 
from what I heard, and I, and I do believe he was in surgery. Obviously, it's still out in Texas. Um, I think it was Fort Worth, I believe. I heard from people close to him and close to the family that he was in surgery and it, and it, it was a success. And um, I mean, I spoke to Billy Joe, I think, 10 days ago and he sounded all right. He sounded in good spirits. He said he was okay. What he did say was, I'll give you an interview next week, Ben, but I haven't had it yet. So I'm still waiting. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 as we discussed before, Ben, um, you said the no subject off limits. You don't mind talking about anything. So I did want to put uh, smog on the time in the YouTube comments. Has just put a couple of comments on. I just wanted to put them to you. Uh, he said, uh, Billy Joe Saunders uh, lost his bollocks and wanted out. Uh, he said, Mark Tibbs hasn't spoken to Billy Joe Saunders since. The video uh, that Mark Tibbs did for IFL was taken down. That speaks volumes. Yeah, and that, that's what I alluded to, Danny. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I haven't spoken to Mark Tibbs yet either. I mean, I spoke to him very briefly, and he he said he called me back. And Mark doesn't like doing interviews anyway. And even though we mm. know each other, he always he always sees me as coming to him with, with a journalist agenda, you know. So Mark's quite happy to swerve all of that. But I said I did have a, a long chat with Jimmy Tibbs on Friday over mm. several cups of tea at his house. And he... Um, he didn't say that they hadn't spoken to each other, but neither did he intimate there was a lot. You know what? I think it's safe to assume that if Billy Joe does continue, and perhaps that's another question that you've that you've got for me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he'll be working with Mark next time. I mean, I'm not sure, but it, I, I wouldn't surprise me that there hasn't been um, any contact since. Fair enough. And then... Um... Oh God, there you are. Gaz has put a question in, which is on the same subject. Uh, sorry, to, we'll bring you in, Danny, in a minute, mate. But um, I know yeah, you're enjoying. I know you're enjoying listening, mate. I know I can yeah. see you. Um, Gaz, uh, Gaz said, um, "Is uh, Canelo Alvarez pound for pound the best in the world?" I think he probably is, Simon, based on the fact that some people might say they prefer Terence Crawford, but if you look at the resumes, which I'm a big advocate of, looking at who have you fought, who have you beat, and who beat you. You know, in and around your prime, I believe that in that yardstick for evaluating fighters who've retired, and I believe it applies to fighters who are still active. When we work out the pound for pound pecking order, if you look at, I mean, Naoya Inoue is an incredible fighter too, but he only has about sixteen fights, I believe. Mm. So, you know, Lomachenko was being talked that way before he suffered the loss to Lopez. But I think when you look at Canelo, when you look at his form, his skills, and his capabilities, and his resume, I think I think he deserves to be regarded as the best fighter in the game. Yeah. So. I've got two questions for you um, to follow up that with. Um, you can choose which which order you order answer them in. Um, I would like to know, in your opinion, uh, does Billy Joe Saunders continue to fight? And if he does, who do you think he should fight? And also, who do you think in the world of boxing at the moment could give Canel Canelo Alvarez the most trouble? And who would you like to see him fight? Okay, on, on the subject of Billy Joe... He's already made noises. The one interview he has done since the fight is with TalkSport a couple of days ago. And he said it was 50-50. And he said his dad's opinion would have a, a big effect on him, a big impact on him. He would listen to that a lot. He said there'd have to be the right fights for a start. Because you've got to bear in mind that the, the man's just earned $8 million. I was going to say he just made a load of money, didn't he? You know, uh, for the fight. So it's it's a kind of um, re retirement fund type money if you want to. And it's not just about whether you, when you when you talk about the hunger, it depends where that hunger comes from. Do you want to, Does he feel he needs to redeem himself because of what some people are saying about the Canelo fight? Does he feel um, that he just wants to come back with a win because he doesn't want to go out like that? Or does he feel, I'm not boxing for, for 100 poxy grand when I've just fought for, for such a princely... 
you know, um, seven-figure payday. That That's a big effect. When you've earned that kind of money, and he's earned good money before that as well, and he, he was wealthy enough you know, that he didn't really need to box, I believe, before the Canelo fight, but this is like a, a game-changer. It's a question whether you can be bothered to get out of bed um, for the kind of sums that might be on offer, depending what you, you know, depending what is offered. He said that has to be the right fights, but he did say also, this is according to TalkSport, I'm still waiting to get my chat with him. He said, if my if my dad said, son, leave it, I'll probably do that. Well, all I would say is I've been encouraged to believe when fighters start talking about retirement you, and accepting it, he hasn't said retirement's not an option. I wouldn't even dream of it. I'm still young, you know, on to the next one. He hasn't said that. He's already made noises he might retire. If he talks about the right fights, what are the right fights? I would say he might fancy a Golovkin fight with a faded Golovkin, maybe even back down at middleweight. I don't see why Billy Joe couldn't make 160 again. And obviously the Chris Eubank fight's still a, it's still a box office fight, isn't it? Because it is anyway, because of the Newbank name, yes. the rivalry. But, you know, Eubank, was, they had that tasteless thing where he was laughing at Billy Joe while watching the fight with, with sycophants in his house on the night. So I think that one would still sell over here, wouldn't it? So yeah. the, the answers being, will he retire? Maybe. If he doesn't, maybe Golovkin or Eubank Jr. Yeah, I mean, Smog on the time literally uh, took the words out of my mouth and then you obviously said it as well. The, the, the one fight for me which does really intrigue me for Billy Joe is the Eubank fight because there's, you know, let's be honest, whether it's MMA or boxing, the, the very best rivalries, you'll normally have a bit of needle to them. Um, there is a, more than a bit of needle there from what I can see. Um, and like you say, the, the Eubank name itself brings in eyes. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's a big fight. But you mentioned, or I put this to you, Danny, as well, Danny Ben mentioned there. Obviously, uh, Billy Joe Saunders made a, a lot of money from his last fight with um, Canelo Alvarez, and this is something we've talked about with Conor McGregor. He's made so much money over you know these last couple of last few years in boxing and in MMA. It becomes a, a thing of what are you fighting for, what are your motivations, and also if you've got if you when you've just made a hundred million from fighting Floyd Mayweather. How difficult is it to then motivate yourself to fight someone else for a million or five hundred grand or you know whatever it is? I mean, Danny, I don't know what you think about that, mate. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when Ben was saying about the reasons why you know a, a fighter may or may not want to continue fighting, what their motivations are. It is absolutely interesting when you think of someone like Mayweather. He makes it seem like money's always his motivation, even though we know he's incredibly wealthy. You know, uh, you know. Like unimaginable um, in, in normal people's terms of living. You know, so what was his motivation for keep fighting? I mean, he time and time again fomented his legacy status, but he just keeps coming back and back and back again. I would answer that, that I think Mayweather was is, is addicted to the limelight and that kind of relevance. Right. And I think he's addicted to money. I think he literally, yeah. money rules his universe. I mean, he's literally, right. it doesn't, he once said, when you think about guys, I mean, I know we, they can't all be Muhammad Ali. In fact, I'm, only one of them was. But, but you know, I mean, when you think about what a guy like Muhammad Ali stood for and the political side, the cultural side, you know, the so much cultural and uh, ethnic and sociological significance. And then you think of Mayweather and you think, what did he represent? Well, he represented money. He once went on record as saying, money isn't everything. Money is the only thing, he said. Mm -hmm. You know, so that is Floyd. And, and I think that was what it was, Danny. I think he, he still... I also think Floyd never really got a taste of 
of the, the party lifestyle as such, as much as he's got all that kind of bling kind of gangster mm. swagger, I don't think Floyd was remotely a drinker or a drug or anything like that. And I don't I don't even think he went mad with women, although I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I think he was just very, very focused. He was an athlete and a boxer and a genius. Mm. And I think he was just... I don't think he's got a lot in him except for amazing boxing skills and, and, and pound signs, dollar signs in his eyes, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. I think that's what kept him going. Yeah. Yeah, because in, in the MMA community, such, such as you do in boxing as well, you get fighters that just can't seem to drop it. And and they, they create this amazing boxing career and they retire, they come back. They retire, they come back and they just can't seem to let it go. It's almost they tarnish what yeah. they were really representing when they was in their prime. Yeah, and I think, you know what, the worst case I ever saw of that off the top of my head was Roy Jones Jr. Because you look at guys like Duran and Leonard who got embarrassed later down the line by guys like... Leonard getting stopped by Hector Camacho and Duran getting stopped by William Joppy and you think you know what those legacies are so monumental and that body of work is so good even though Leonard only had 40 fights it's, it's untouchable and it doesn't matter but Roy Jones went on so long and got to a point where he really was such a shadow of what he had been that I think he actually did negatively impact on that legacy in a way yeah. that you know that the, the Duran Leonard legacies were slightly more robust than his wasn't so you know and I think that Danny is definitely about the, the limelight and the the sense of um, purpose and the sense of belonging, the sense of identity. Uh, they might, right. everybody, as Sugar Robinson once said, I need a buck like everybody else. But I do think in the case of people like Roy Jones, it's, they don't know what else to do with their lives. Yeah. In terms of styles as well, this is a question that sort of like was on my mind to ask you when, when I knew you was going to be coming on the podcast. And that is, what kind of style of boxers would you say are the ones that can go on beyond their peak years and still be relevant and effective? So you're, you've got like reactive fighters like Nassim Mohammed. Yeah. You know, purely, I wouldn't say he was a class boxer in the traditional sense, but he was an incredible um, reactions and incredible angles that he could punch in. But obviously you have to be extremely youthful and, yeah. and, and surely five time is going to take that edge off sooner than it would another stylist that's perhaps tight and pushes in close. You know, uh, got any kind of opinions on what yeah. kind of boxing style has I longer longevity? It's a great question, you know, because and I think Roy Jones fits into that Nassim Hammer character as well. It's like they were yeah. physical geniuses. They were physical genii and it was a remarkable Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline what they were capable of doing, but it required a split second kind of reflex and, and timing, which when that dulled, because they had no orthodox method to hide behind and none of the more old men tricks to their arsenal, it, it impacted on them, you know, negatively. Whereas you yeah. get a guy like Bernard Hopkins has got the perfect style and boxing IQ to go on for a very long time because he was, you know, because he was just so very, very smart. And a guy like James Tony, same kind of thing, you know, because defensive geniuses who can do it on a 20 pence piece or on a dime, as they say in the States, they can mm. last longer than guys who rely on their legs predominantly, like a, you know, Hector Camacho's and like a, right. a Muhammad Ali um, and, and a Roy Jones Jr. And, you know, so I think that somebody once was 
trying to figure out who was the greatest fighter of the last... It, it, this article was written in the early 2000s, so he was trying to figure out who was the best fighter of the last 10 or 20 years, or maybe even just of the decade of the 90s. And he said it basically comes down to the body or the brain. Was it Roy Jones, the body, or it was Bernard Hopkins, the brain? And he ended up deciding in favour of the brain. And that's essentially what you're saying. Right. You can have those kind of... You'll only get away with that style for a certain amount of time at, at the top level. Uh, so, you know, I mean, a guy like George Foreman, I mean, he was he was able to adapt when he was a lot older. You know, he, he managed to figure out a bit more of a cross-arm defence, which kind of worked for him. And I think I think guys which are not just completely dependent on their speed, reflexes and angles and, and, and kind of creativity are the ones who might um, mm. be less longer. Yeah, and as a person so heavily involved in, in coaching side of things, uh, such as you are, would you say you have a more appreciation of you know, the technical boxer rather than someone who has just got an incredible sharp eye and really fast reactions, you know, does it make you have more respect for someone that sits behind proper boxing education, not, if you will? Not really. I, I love, I love Nassim Hamid. I mean, my, my favourite fighter, my, my dual favourite fighters are Muhammad Ali and Shugway Leonard. So the thing about um, Leonard in particular was he actually did have great core skills and he, I think he was more versatile than Ali and he could fight on the inside. And he, he, mm. he was a good body puncher and all the rest of it, a good left hooker. But but I love I love like a you know a Nassim Hammond or even a, a Nicolino Loche or Willie Pep. You know Willie Pep lasted a very long time and had two hundred odd fights for someone who was very fleet footed and never really changed that style. So he's an interesting example. But you know what it was when I was younger, they they were all existed for me. It was Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, Hector Camacho, anybody of that kind of ilk. Um, Whereas when I got a bit older, I realised that it's not all about dancing all over the ring and, and throwing, you know, Meldrick Taylor-like combinations. And I began to admire guys like like Bernard Hopkins or Archie Moore, and so on a lot more. So, but to be honest, I don't have a really a, a preference. I, I I love all. I love both kinds of situation and phenomena. Yeah, yeah. I've got more questions, but I don't want to be hogging yeah, it. No, I'm no, really, right. really patient. I was like, right, I'll get my moment. And I've just got mm -hmm. far um, at you. But um, a question I have for you is that when we're watching the boxing, and, and I've always had an interest in boxing, um, I'm certainly not as deeply uh, interested as I have been in the past because my MMA career as a coach has really taken over. But, you know, when there's big fights, I, I do watch and so on and so forth. Opposite stance. So in MMA, in kickboxing, any system or combat sport regards kicks, when you've got opposite stances, it's so, so important to have your lead foot on the outside of your opponent. But I've seen Canelo and other top boxers where they're fighting and competing against people with opposite stance come in seemingly on purpose with their foot on the inside. Is, there a, yeah. is it a different rule set because there's no kicks involved? Does it change things up? No doubt it is different because of the lack of kicks. But to be honest, Danny, the, the, the textbook um, formula for, let's say I'm, I'm an orthodox boxer, which I was, and I'm boxing a southpaw. The textbook tells us to keep, keep my lead foot outside. Right. It tells me to to go right hand, straight right hand heavy, to, to use my yeah. straight right down, yeah, the middle, down the pipe. Yeah. Uh, and, it tell, and it tells me to move to my left. That's what they say. You know, if you've got a southpaw in front of you, keep your lead foot outside theirs, move to your left, and throw the straight right hand down the middle to the body right. and to the head. But the trouble with that, the, the rules are there to be broken. And it, I, I think it's... It, it might be an overrated cliche because, as you say, you see guys break the rules. The trouble with that, it sounds great, Danny, but the problem is every Southpaw in the universe knows that. He knows what an orthodox... He, he's, oh, I know what he's going to do. He's going to keep his try and keep his foot outside. He's going right. to move to his left and he's going to throw straight right hands at me. So you obviously need to do more than that, don't you, against a good Southpaw because he's seen okay. it before. So 
I watched Carl. Uh, sorry, Muhammad Ali versus Carl Mildenberger. I watched quite recently. Uh, I'll rewatched again, and Ali is going to his right all the time. And what somebody said to me is, what he's doing is he's gambling on his speed of his his backhand being quicker than the other guy's backhand, which was his left. And sometimes right. that can pay off. So, if you talk to any serious boxing coach who studies the game, they'll 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 talk about that. You know that kind of ABC logic, Peter and Jane logic of keeping foot inside. They'll be like, yeah, but it really does depend. I mean, I've I've seen Hopkins moving when he fought. Um, I believe it was. Trying to think, it might have been Chad Dawson. I think it was a sample. Um, mm-hmm. and, he, and, and he was going to the right all the time, but but he, he had his foot outside, but was going the other way. So I, I, right. I don't think you can say there's a one size fits all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we've got a bit of breaking news. Uh, Russian boxer, Perfect. whose name I'm about to butcher, Alexa Alexander, <coughs> how is it pronounced? Pavetkin. Pavetkin has announced he's retiring, citing lingering injuries that require treatment. Yeah. Uh, for obviously, forty-one-year-old uh, was was it two thousand and four? I think Olympic, yes, yes, super heavyweight. Uh, was he gold? Yeah, he was gold medalist. Wasn't he was he? gold medalist? Yeah. So uh, yeah, the, uh, tell us a bit about him, uh, Ben. Obviously, quite the que- quite the career, should I say? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think he um, he did have a good world-class career, like you say, in the amateurs and as a pro. I think he showed how dangerous and credible he was right to the end when he when he uh, ruined Dylan White's party the first time. Um, you know, he only he only lost to the top guys, and I think yeah, you know, even his uh, when White reversed the uh, fortunes in Gibraltar a couple of months ago, it was an exciting competitive fight. He came to give his all, so I think you know, Povetkin, with the exception of the slight stain over his name for for, for testing positive for banned steroids or performance enhancing drugs but yeah you know what name me a heavyweight who hasn't uh of course, yeah. in the last five or ten years um you know but i, and I think pavetkin is can look can look back on a stellar career and think that he did okay you know it was only klitschko who really beat him out of sight absolutely um i'm gonna just jump in quickly uh, ahead of uh, danny before he asks another question because we've got a super <laughs> chat. canelo question by the way we still got oh, yes. like, well, do you want we'll, me to answer that who, um, who yeah just give me two seconds because i'll forget this and um gaz has sent in a super chat um so i'll put that up on the screen uh he said whose fault was the aj fury okay. fight falling through um what we'll do guys we're going to get to that in uh, in just a second but um i just wanted to put that yeah. up because i'll forget otherwise yeah, I'll, so, no problem Let's go back to the Canelo question, which I think was, uh, who would you think could give him the biggest test and who would you like to see him fight next? Okay, interesting. Um, I don't think Caleb Plant can beat him. I know Caleb Plant's very talks a good game and he's very confident, but I, I, don't, um, I don't think he's the man to, to give him his second loss, his second official loss. I actually think Canelo's lost a few more fights than his record shows, but you know, uh, no, I don't mm-hmm. think Plant will do it, although I believe that will be next, but no matter what I want. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering if Golovkin is a little bit too far gone there, based on the fact you know even that he hasn't the pandemic pandemic probably hasn't helped his activity uh, levels either. I just think Povetkin may be a bit long in the tooth now, and if he didn't get his hands raised the first twice, when I think he definitely won the first fight, let's say. And to, to be honest yeah. with you, uh, Golovkin probably nicked the second fight too. But I think Canelo boxed really well in the rematch. I think he did. It was such a great improvement, such a great adjustment for Canelo that I didn't have a huge problem with him winning the fight, and and I can understand how some of the swing rounds might have gone the other way. So I think I think Golovkin beat him out of sight the first time when he called it a draw. I think Canelo. I thought Golovkin nicked the second fight, but I don't have a huge problem with the decision. And I just don't think now is the time for Golovkin to for third time lucky, you know. So 
for the big challenges for Canelo and looking at guys who might beat him, um, I think it's probably in the light heavyweight division. You know, I mean, obviously he was up there when he beat the the relative shell of Sergei Kovalev. Um, but I think a guy like Artur Beterbiev uh, um, would be the would be the guy possibly to beat him. I don't know if he wants to fight Beterbiev or not. And you know what? He started down at like middleweight, so I'm not saying he has to fight this monster, you know. Um, mm. But and, and to be fair, Can- Canelo has shown a willingness to fight anybody of late. But Beterbiev might beat him, whether we see that fight or not. I think that's the one where we'd really get the juices flowing, where you might think he was in danger of losing. Yeah. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. And uh, Riverside, um, just going back to Billy Joe Saunders, says, um, do you think his uh, his injury could uh, could go again, similar to Kell Brooks did in the fight after he'd recovered from that injury? I think inevitably it could. The only thing I would say is there's probably not too many people can hit Billy Joe like that except for Saul Canelo Alvarez. Yes. Because, uh, you know, Kell Brook incurred that injury against Golovkin in 2016 and then he was straight in with Errol Spence, which is another tough fight against a surgeon like, you know, boxer puncher. I think Billy Joe might could conceivably not get hit on that spot again for a couple of fights, you know, as long as he's still got the belief and, the, you know, the, the dazzling footwork and all that. But yeah, of course, I mean... We don't, I don't know if we'll see Billy Joe in a ring again or not as yet. You know, he might Billy Joe in two weeks' time might feel totally different. He might get hungry, he might get angry, and he might decide he still wants us. He's, he's done it since he was about five years old, I think. You know, so yeah. I don't think we know. But but obviously, yeah, there's always a danger as well as the psychological effect of a defeat and an injury. There's always you know physically the danger of a go against you. Um, and Riverside also just followed up uh, with a question about what we were just talking about with Canelo Alvarez. He said, "Would uh, Canelo drop weight to fight Shakur?" Do you think? Um, what is he Shikos, talking about? Uh, I think he's talking about Shakur Stevens. No, just, it can't just be so I was gonna say, he can't be talking about Shakur Stevens because uh, that's way too small. Okay, um, no, I'm not sure. So, I mean, uh, really it's, it's, they were talking about a fight with maybe Errol Spence. Errol Spence expressed interest in that fight, mm. you know. Um, maybe, maybe that could be made. It's a big fight, isn't it? I mean, I've I, it's not particularly close, but I know Spence. Spence was up for going up to middleweight at least and fighting him there. If that could be, if Canelo could make one sixteen and doesn't mind doing that. But. Yeah, and you made a good point just now, actually, Ben, when you said Canelo Alvarez seems to be uh, happy to take on all comers at the moment, which I think that in itself is good for boxing because I think one thing, and you know, Danny can jump in here as well. Um, one one criticism maybe that some people give boxing over MMA is that often the the really big fights, like the best versus the best, they don't end up happening for whatever reason, or when they do happen, they kind of pass their best, with obviously Alvarez and um, Golovkin being probably the exception in recent times. Um, but obviously the one that springs to mind is the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, which yeah. kind of never really happened until they were both probably past their prime. Um, as a boxing man, like how do you think that's a fair criticism from people to say that's a part or a problem within boxing yeah it's it's beyond fair i mean it is the biggest it's the biggest problem you know from a fan perspective it's the biggest problem in world boxing for the last god knows how many years and it does contrast with the the era when i first fell in love with it as a as a child in the 1980s when you look at all the big fights that were made without too much fuss in that era you know i always come out with this one i may have even said it last time you and i spoke but Sugar Ray Leonard versus Tommy Hearns in uh, September 1981 was made. The Manuel Stewart met Mike Trainer, who was acting as you know, Leonard's attorney, 
in an airport coffee shop. They met somewhere in the middle between Detroit and, and Maryland, and, and they met in an airport coffee shop on a Saturday morning. They wrote the details and particulars on a napkin, and they said, this looks okay, yeah, I think we've pretty much agreed this in principle. They had a contract drafted by the Tuesday. They said they both left on the same plane they came in on because the meeting was so easy and, and, and expedient. And then the next thing, you know, and you know what? And, and Chavoy Leonard actually fought Ayab Kaluli to win a WBA like middleweight title as a tune-up. The Hearns contract was always signed. And he's like, I'll just go fight this guy first, who's a tough, you know, world champion in his own right in the division I've never yeah. officially fought in, you know, and he's a southpaw and it could all go it could all go horribly wrong. Well, don't worry. I'm, I'm Chavoy Leonard, so I'm going to go do this. I'll, I'll beat this guy, then I'll see you. And they put Hearns on the, on the undercard. And then they fought each other a couple of months down the line. Now, these days, two things. Leonard and Hearns wouldn't be fighting when in their young, scary primes like that. Any, no way in the world. And they sure as hell wouldn't take a banana skin like Kaluli as a, as a tune-up. You know, whereas it, it was, you know, I'm aware. I don't know a great deal about MMA, but I am aware that the best fight the best. And they, there's less ability to avoid. If you, if, you want, if you want the big money and you want the attention and limelight, you, have to, you can't swerve guys as easy as they can in boxing and just build this more safe career path. You know, and, uh, and it didn't always happen. It, it's something that's happened. It's it's like a 21st century melody. You know, some some people on the inside talk it up and say, well, you know, I, I remember Barry Hearn saying, we don't have a right to see a man kill himself every eight weeks. Sometimes mm. it's an ordinary day at work. Sometimes it's a special day at work. But, you know, I, I do think it's a massive problem. And I think it's, you know, it has gotten beyond the joke, yeah. So, I mean, that takes us nicely into Gaz's uh, question, yeah. which we put on the back burner. And he asked, whose fault was the AJ versus fury fight falling through and then he says spill the brief spill the beans ben bruv um okay and i guess this is for maybe ben for for the more mma minded of our viewers who are not bang up to date with everything that happened if you could give us kind of like a i don't know like a just an right. overview of what went down as well as you're going along that'd be great well, first of all, I believe Eddie Hearn did everything. I think he moved heaven and earth to make that fight. I absolutely believe he wanted it. And I absolutely believe his fighter, Anthony Joshua, wanted the fight. Even though I think most people fancy Fury to win the fight. I don't think Tyson Fury is afraid of Anthony Joshua, but he is a bit more enigmatic and difficult, slippery by nature. Uh, Bob Arum certainly is. And I think, you know... Um, See, recently, Bob Arum said it was Eddie Hearn's fault. He said, Eddie has got diarrhea of the mouth, was his phrase. He said he can't stop talking because Bob is old school. They didn't do social yeah. media and all that. Eddie lives on social media, not his private life. You never see his wife or his kids, you know. But professionally, professionally, his professional life, he lives on social media. And it's partly what's made Eddie so successful in the first place because he's a young, good-looking guy who's a good talker. And he understood the power of social media when he was coming up and spearheaded that second wave of matchroom, right? So Eddie, he, it's social media is what's brought him to the mountaintop, so he stays on it. He talks to Kogan every, I think every four hours they do an interview, don't, roughly, don't they? I don't yeah, watch them all, but I do watch some of them. Uh, you know, and um, so Bob Arum's take is, no, he's the one who, who fucked it all up, you know? He said, because he um, he won't stop talking about stuff. He said the, the Saudis made a very good site offer. He said, but Eddie got greedy and was like, oh, no, take the TV as well, whatever that means. I, I don't... Oh, exactly what I think he's trying to say that they they should negotiate a deal with the Saudis for the TV as well, rather than just making it a side fee. But and uh, and he said so. Eddie was the one who who screwed everything up. Now Eddie came back as he was always going to to Coogan like within the last several hours and said, yeah, yeah. Apparently uh, uh, the gist of it was it was it was my fault because I got greedy with the Saudis. He said you're talking about a guy. He said Bob Arum is easily the greediest man I've ever met in my entire life, <laughs> and he said. 
they said to me, he said, all parties agreed this. He said, what is all this crap about the TV and all that? He said, they, I, we, we all agreed it. He said, I said, are you happy with this number? You know, and, and they said, yes, Eddie, go and ask them for it. He said, I asked them for it. They said, yes. He said, and it was all, all parties were in agreement on this. And then the next thing, you know, the, the whole fact is Tyson Fury announced it too. The, they were sceptical that Eddie could come up with the money and they were they were dragging their heels. They also had this Deontay Wilder arbitration going on, which they, people knew that, Eddie knew that, but he was assured by the other side it wouldn't be a problem. He also yeah. says subsequently that they could have quashed that. Whatever the legal loopholes are in the world, wonderful world of lawyers, he said they could have quashed that arbitration in December had they wanted to. They could have taken some step which would have killed it dead. They didn't do it, they, so it still had legs. They were convinced that they were just—it was just going to—the the arbitrator was just going to award Wilder damages. He didn't think that Fury was going to be obliged. Oh, so they say they didn't think Fury was going to be obliged to fight Deontay Wilder a third time, particularly since the second fight had been so conclusive, despite the existence going into that second fight of a return of a return clause. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. So, so next minute. Fury is even on a Sunday, I remember it. He announced, it's great, the biggest one is on, we're finally going to do it. Can't wait to smash that big dosser. And then, the next thing is, literally within hours, Hearn says, he calls Aaron and he says, you're not going to believe this. We've got to, the, the, the guy's decided in favour of Wilder, says we've got to fight Wilder again. And then he said, you know, without panicking too much, he thought this was just a blip and it was going to get sorted. Yeah. He said, all oh, right, okay, so what are you going to do? And he said, oh, well, nothing. We're going to fight Wilder again. And Eddie, I, I don't know, is profanity all right? Did, show? Yeah, yeah, Eddie, crack on. Eddie said, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Are you joking? He said, I've just spent five months of my life. So listen, I, I know Eddie's not everyone's cup of tea, but I, I, I believe him. I, you know, I'm not yeah. privy to all the, the finer points of it. And I, maybe I'm being taken in like the rest of his audience. But it seems to me that Team Joshua wanted the fight. And Wilder's team, which is a bit more complex in its setup, with Frank Warren as his, you know, UK promoter and Bob Arum top rank as his US promoter, the situation with Wilder, you know, I mean, they 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 didn't appear to have their house in order for the fight to happen this summer. And Aaron was just saying, you know, well, we'll just fight Wilder and then we can do this fight in December. But I mean, you couldn't blame Eddie because he said the Saudi. I think it's Prince Khalid is the Saudi with all the, the money, the, the, yeah. the prince, whatever he is. And I think you know, Eddie said he was absolutely devastated and. I mean, I wouldn't blame Eddie if he said, listen, forget about the fight for a bit. I mean, I do hope we see it because, you know, to be honest with you, gentlemen, I actually am at least as interested in the Alexander Usyk fight, which looks like it's going ahead. I think that's just as intriguing because I think Fury will beat Joshua, um, to be honest with you. Whereas I think the Usyk-Joshua thing is Joshua ought to win, but there's some intangibles there and it's an interesting fight. So I'm not too bothered, but I think for the health of the game... It, it's a shame we're not getting the undisputed World Heavyweight Championship fight for obvious reasons, partly because of what you said uh, a little while ago about the best not fighting the best. So I think, yeah. I think in terms of the greater good, I think the Fury Joshua fight is the one. But from a from just a from a first armchair point of intrigue, I quite like the Usyk fight. Yeah, it's certainly intriguing. I think um, from the outside, it's very frustrating because it did seem like it was finally happening, and you know, the heavyweight boxing. No matter, you know, you've got various boxers from around the world of smaller weights who are, of course, great boxers, technically fantastic to watch. That You know, that's a fact. But heavyweight boxing is the thing which everyone, those big fights are the ones which the casual viewers come in for. You know, everyone comes in to watch those big fights. And it, yeah. it does feel like that was the one to do and it just hasn't happened um smog on the time has made a couple of interesting comments he says um john fury's interview with bt tells the whole uh, truth 
Um, and he also says uh, Prince Khalid had personally phoned Fury to assure him that the, the money was there. I mean, I've got to be honest, and again, maybe I'm being taken in by the fighters. To me, it does seem like Tyson Fury wants to fight Anthony Joshua, but there is something <laughs> in between that keeps getting in the way, whatever it may be. Um, we have this the way, theory. We have this theory that Bob Arum and, and Frank Warren just want to put a spanner in the works because they don't particularly like Eddie Hearn and they see him as a you know this annoying whippersnapper who's got so much trajectory that he's got at this point and so much influence. He changed boxing though, didn't he? And he, and he yeah, uh, he did. You know, he's he's evolved with with social media and things like that. Frank Warren, Bob Arum haven't the dinosaurs. Uh, yeah, so I mean they're still very you know they're still powerful, influential, of course. interesting dinosaurs, but dinosaurs. Nonetheless, so you know, there is this whole sub uh, plot theory that they just wanted to string him along. You know, um, I mean, my, my mate Spencer Fearon, who's who talks a lot about boxing and, and he's quite you know well known in the circles, he annoyed Eddie by saying Eddie Hearn got played like a Sega Mega Drive, my friend. Mm -hmm. and then Eddie was sufficiently pissed off about it to, to, to say in an interview with Coogan, Oh, I heard Spencer Fearon the other day saying Eddie got played. He says, Well, I'm sorry. I tried to make the biggest fight in boxing. I honestly believe the people who were involved in that negotiation with me wanted the same thing. So, you yeah. got, I mean, you got, I'm not going to feel too sorry for a multimillionaire who's that ludicrously good-looking and well-situated, but but I don't think it was his fault. I think he did his best, you know, I really do. No. Um, the other thing as well is uh, Deontay Wilder, whilst Fury has looked the better boxer on both occasions, in my opinion, um, you know, uh, Wilder has got power... It's not just a walkover by any means, is it? Do you know what I mean? It's not a case of just turning up and no. beating Deontay Wilder and then moving on to Anthony Joshua. I think when somebody punches that hard, there's this desire. You don't really ever want to fight them again. I remember when Chris Eubank fought Nigel Wen the first time and he beat him and he said, you know, God, if everybody I fought punched like that, I wouldn't do this. I just wouldn't mm. do it for a living, you know. And, it, and he, when he was, they spoke about a rematch, he would always say, if you want me to fight that man again with that bone-breaking power, then set me free with money. So yeah. I think with, with Fury, I mean, he was very dominant last time, wasn't he? And it was a, he totally flipped the script based on the way he campaigned in the first fight, you know. But um, but even then, I don't know if you saw, after the second fight, when they were doing that consolatory hug bit, Fury said to Wilder, God, you don't half punch. He said, you hit me with one shot there in the whatever round. And I was like hearing cuckoo, you know. Mm -hmm. So he's still, even on on his dominant night, he still felt that, you know, that jarring, yeah. you know, head spinning power. So I don't think you ever, who wants to fight a puncher like that? You don't even want to spar them, you know, let alone no. at least fighting them, you're getting the proper, you know, conversation for it. But, yeah. but uh, you know, so I, th I think with Fury, some people suggest he's been inactive a long time. They both have, obviously. They, neither of them have fought since February 2020 when they fought each other. But some people um, are wondering if Fury might have got, a little bit lazy, you know, even upstairs in, in, in the interim, whether, you know, whether he's not in the best mindset at the minute. There's a friend of mine who, who really knows his boxing, Julian McGowan, who we do the Instagram thing with. He's convinced that Fury might be on the verge of another, um, you know, slump emotionally. And um, oh, okay. he said he, he says he sees what he would regard as red flags in the training and some of the work he's doing out in the States and stuff when, when it was being posted on social media. And mm. he doesn't think the world of things are far, a foregone conclusion at all. Mm, and that's and that you know a loss for either man changes the whole dynamic again obviously yeah. um right danny before i put uh my last question to ben and do the the one word game 
and yeah. before he leaves, just I'll let you fire some questions at him because I've yeah you've been patiently waiting, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to know what your take on the bare knuckle scene. Um, I presume you know a little bit about that. It's sort of become quite popular in recent years. Um, a lot of like retirees from MMA have gone over to it. You have had some, you know, former professional boxers go over to it. Kickboxing champions. It's all become this cross-formatted where all these great strikers. Um, you know, reaching their twilight years have then crossed over to this bare knuckle scene. Uh, are you a fan of the bare knuckle scene, being it's so closely related to boxing? I think a fan of being overstated in the case, but I've been to one show at the uh, Indigo, you know, at the O2 Arena, where yeah. they have some of those shows. It was a Jim Freeman Dove promotion. And um, what I thought, I thought it was interesting because that most of the fighters i saw that night were stand-up boxers and the good and the good stand-up boxers were the ones who won the fights i thought the interesting thing about it was most of the fights ended by stoppages so one thing it eliminated from we, we perhaps live in another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. A more kind of instant gratification era where the success of MMA and, and, and other things is sometimes based on the short, sharp, shock nature of it. And the fact that, you know, sometimes a, a kind of tepid 12-round affair that goes a distance with few highlights that, that is only appreciated by the purest, you know, can be yeah. can be a negative commercial aspect of boxing. I thought with the bare knuckle thing, most of the fights, most of the fights ended inside the distance, which made it perhaps more exciting for the audience. And also, I, I found that the, a fight can literally change on the spin of a coin, or one shot can change everything. And it not in the way it can in boxing, like you know, Harold Graham, Julian Jackson, where it just you know puts the lights out. I just mean. There could be an injury. The the I mean, I know we saw it with. I'm saying it, it doesn't apply to boxing. We saw it with Billy Joe and Canelo, but but that happens a lot in the bare knuckle thing. It seems where literally one shot can be a game changer. So it makes it a bit more maybe a bit more exciting. Like you know that you that you can't switch off and think, well, this is going to be one of those. This one's got ten or twelve rounds written all over it. So um, I mean, I thought it was. I'm, I'm I'm fine with it. It's not something I could see myself going to all the time. But I think I'm surprised in a way that it became. Uh, commercial and popular again because obviously ben, the, the significance to me of bare knuckle boxing is that pioneer era of James Figg and Jack Broughton you know in starting mm. in 1719 forward the idea that it's come back as a kind of 21st century thing is quite surprising but then I think it proves if you market something well then you can have good results with it can't you because mm. MMA the one thing about MMA and particularly the UFC it's been marketed so well right mm-hmm. yeah, yeah no, so great. I've got more questions sorry go on, I'm never no, you got Really, we, we, we need Ben back another time, really. It's really, really intriguing for, to get another perspective from someone that specialises in, you know, the combat arts, but in such a unique, you know, format, you know, in, in terms of just, just using their hands. But, you know, what, what's your opinion on the, the most golden de- decade um, and, and your reasons why for that? You know, it might be based on, you know, because it produced the greatest fight. It might be Muhammad Ali. That's why you thought it was the best decade. Or the best decade, maybe because you felt like it was the most competitive throughout the weight divisions. You know, which, which was, do you say, the golden era for, for boxing? It's a tough question, uh, Danny, but for me, it's the 1980s. And the reason why 
for a start, you had that Fab Four, you know, the, the Four Kings phenomenon. That was an 80s phenomenon. Uh, so there was four fantastic fighters there. Shabai Leonard, Tommy Hearns, Marvin Hagler and Roberto Duran. But not just that, you had other guys. When Listen, um, there's a my go-to when people try to tell me boxing has evolved is the 1981 mid, mid-year. It was around spring 1981 in KO magazine. And it was the top 10 pound for pound boxers in the world. According, and it was all going to change them because it was before the Land Hearns fight, and Tommy Hearns was actually number one at the time. But in no particular order, the ten fighters, if I can remember them, just to give you an, a kind of immediate insight into what a golden decade this was. The ten fighters off the top of my head were Tommy Hearns, Sugar Ray Leonard, Marvin Hagler, Aaron Pryor, Roberto Duran, Wilfredo Gomez, um, Michael Spinks, who was a great light heavyweight, despite the thing that happened to him. At, against Mike Tyson, uh, Larry Holmes. Uh, Marvin Hagler was down at number eight. It was just, I, I can't remember all 10 of them in, in, in this particular moment, uh, but it was just off the charts because Salvador Sanchez, Salvador Sanchez was, was the missing one, the featherweight guy too, even though he only died, at, he died at 23, but was an all-time great when he died and still had a, a big body of work. You know, when you look at um, the, the thing that's impressive about that particular list of fighters from 1981 is... Every one of them, you could make a credible argument, at least, for being the greatest of all time in their division. You could say Marvin Hagler was the greatest middleweight of all time. Not everybody agrees, but but it's definitely a view. It's a thing. Right. Same thing could be said of Roberto Duran lightweight. Same thing could be said of Salvador Sanchez at featherweight. Like I say, people say it. You could definitely say it of Tommy Hearns at uh, light middleweight. You could say it of Larry Holmes at heavyweight. I know that more people favour Ali or, or somebody else than Larry Holmes, but he was certainly... I don't think Larry Holmes should be regarded as any, any worse than the top four greatest heavyweights of all time. So I just think the 80s was the most talent-packed decade. And not just that, it wasn't just the fighters. We had so many great fights then. Never mind the, you know, the Hagler-Hearns, Leonard-Hearns, Holmes-Cooney, uh, Leonard-Duran, the first fight, obviously not the second fight so much. Um, but you had great trade super fights underneath that, like Gomez versus Sanchez, Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Arguello. The, the 1980s was just off the charts. The 1950s right. was one hell of a decade too. So was the 1970s. They had some great fighters in the 1970s. The 1920s was, was kind of full of talent, although it was a very, very different era. And I do accept things have moved on a little bit since then. But I think when you push comes to shove, it's the 1980s for me. Yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's not the current era with Logan and uh, Jake Paul. No. <laughs> now you wanted to get to it, didn't you? No, well, I, I, I thought that was nicely I think the linked. Paul brothers, the, the Paul brothers pushed them very close, but I just think it'd be wrong to to evaluate them one before they retire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's see, let's see what more amazing things they can do before we put or them, before they actually put a limit fight on that. A yeah. boxer, yeah, maybe yeah. when they fight a boxer, maybe they. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we, we'll get to them can, now. Go on, can Danny, I, you go. Can I just fire one more? You you're kind of like touching on it a little bit. At what decade would you say boxing had reached a level where they could still be relevant today if those, you know, athlete and great boxers from the past uh, could be in their prime again today? At what decade would you say they could have competed? Because obviously, going back to, say, the 1920s and 30s, as you just mentioned, yeah. you, you can only but imagine that they'd be at their depth um, with some of the top boxers <laughs> of today because it's moved on. You know, that is a big difference. Because certainly in MMA, if you take it from the 90s, you know, the 1990s fighters in MMA couldn't even compete on the amateur scene today to give you an idea of how it's evolved. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Combat sport. So, yeah, what decade would you say, yeah, anyone from that decade could compete today because that's where boxing had reached its most 
evolution. I, th- I think the forties, some of the leading lights of the forties, wow, definitely be guys today. You look at most people. You might be aware, Danny. Most people will tell you Sugar Ray Robinson was the greatest fighter ever lived. You're going to get yeah. more people who've got a clue what they're talking about and tell you that than anything else. Mm-hmm. He's not the only choice, but he's very. He pretty much is universal. When people. So, don't get me wrong, some people are just regurgitating it because that's what they've heard and everybody says it, so it becomes this narrative. But Sugar Ray Robinson could definitely have competed with with the welterweight, certainly when he was he was a welterweight in the 1940s. I certainly think he could, could have competed with and probably beaten any welterweight in the world today. Uh, Joe Lewis, he'd be a little small perhaps for some of the heavyweights today, but you look at his skill set, I wouldn't fancy any cruiserweight's chances in the world against Joe Lewis from the 1940s. I'm trying to think of other... Lest, lest we identify that those two are just the exceptions who are ahead of their time, I suppose I should come up with one more 1940s name. Henry Armstrong, I think he'd have been bad weather and quite a handful for anybody today between featherweight and welterweight, to be honest with you. Right. So, yeah, so yeah. I would say the 1940s is, is that decade when it... Wow, that's, when, when that's it really real. surprised me because you know, we're talking a, a considerable amount of decades ago and, and to think you think they, they could be relevant. But it goes to show you, a boxing's been around for such a long time yeah. And many decades to evolve, but um, to go back as far as that's really surprising. Some people would disagree with me, Danny, but you know what the problem yeah. is? The reason why you know what the the reason why they lose out is because they only ever give me examples from athletics, unfortunately. I stick right. to boxing because that's my thing. But that, yeah. the, the only way they can ever try and convince me is well, look at Usain Bolt versus Jesse Owens. And I even believe if you really want to get technical, there's a, there are other arguments there about the shoes they used, the surfaces they ran on. That's right. I think someone made a very interesting video that proved that Jesse Owens wasn't actually slower than Usain Bolt at all, if you factored in certain things. But you know what I mean? But yeah. what's the, boxing is not athletics, and it, it, never, it never was, and it never will be. Yeah, you heard, you're touching on the athletics. Sorry, Si. Um, oh, you go on, mate. What they did was one time, I'm trying to remember the name of the sprinter. Uh, it's, 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 it's denying me at the moment, but um, someone that's certainly in the top five sprinters um, in over the 100 metres. Um, and what they done was they created exactly the same type of cinder track that Jesse Owens ran on. Um, yeah. They got his shoe and they remade the shoe exactly the same. Um, and they got him to train um, as if for a competition um, to prepare him. And he ran something like half a second slower than Jesse Owens. Okay, so there's a lot of technical things you have to learn, you know, in terms of the surface you're sprinting on. But that will really put things in perspective. You know, an athlete of the day that has many advantages with nutrition um, and just the evolution of coaching for sprinting. And, um, you know, so, so many differences. But they couldn't get anywhere near Jesse Owens' time wearing the same footwear and on the same track. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah. you know, so even that argument, which which I feel is spurious because it comes from another sport, uh, is not. Um, maybe, babe. Sorry, maybe the big one, babe. Instead. So, so I'm trying. I'm trying to sort the lighting out the back because mm-hmm. things have got dark since we started. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Natalie's doing her best, but she's the, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. her smart light is not working. But yeah, um, want to play that game now? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so to finish us off, mate. Um, what I like to do is uh, I, we call it the one-word game. Uh, I give you a list. Uh, it's six names from the world of boxing, basically. Yeah. And uh, you just tell me the first thing which comes to mind when I say those names. So uh, the first name, nice and easy, Michael Buffer. Very, very slick guy. Made a hell of a lot of money. God bless anybody who can make that money in the field of boxing by standing in the ring and not getting punched in the face. Interviewed him <laughs> one time. And I think it's astonishing that MC can make that much money, but it shows you branding. Once again, here's the brand. Here's 
so he, he is so slick in Las Vegas, you know. He got he had that let's get ready to rumble um you know, catchphrase which became synonymous with the sport. And um I interviewed him one time and he was a good guy, you know. He looks absolutely perfect, you know, he's so well groomed and he, he's a nice guy. He did an interview and um, you know, you, you what can you say about Michael Buffer? He's not my favourite MC ever. I, I think I prefer Chuck Hole, who was from the eighties, who was a little bit more yeah. downplayed, a little bit more classy and understated, but you gotta love Michael. Yeah, absolutely. But it's all about the branding. I agree. Uh, Eddie Hearn. Yeah, I, I like Eddie. I mean, he's he is one he is one bright, smooth, hardworking mofo. You know, he's. I understand the argument. He's had it all handed to him on a plate, but I don't think sons of legendary uh, tycoons, businessmen, and sports promoters do not always emulate their father's deeds by any stretch of the imagination. Eddie could have had another son who wasn't Eddie, didn't have his kind of qualities who wouldn't have pushed it to this uh, level. I think Eddie has achieved more with Matchroom than than than, um, than Barry ever did. Matchroom Boxing, that is. You know, I don't really... The, I mean, I know Eddie has taken over as the chairman of Matchroom Sport now, you know, but he's... I think he's brought the, the boxing arm of the company to a level that it never enjoyed in, in Barry's heyday. So, I think Eddie, he works very hard. He's very, very bright and savvy. And I think, you know, he's a charmer. Well, I've always found him to be a charmer. Absolutely. Uh, Mike Tyson... Yeah, Mike is deep. Um, met him just the one time, and I was—it was a very emotional experience. Even though he hardly ever said anything. I mean, you won't—you won't have trouble believing this, but I just talked to him for five minutes, and he just nodded with this kind of unmistakable sensitivity. He didn't—I don't know if he said two words, but it was a powerful moment. I mean, I've—I said to him when I met him, I can't imagine my teenage years without you. Um, it's quite simply, you know, and I can't. Yeah. I think his fans are very, you know, he's, he's kind of the lunatic fringe of Tyson fans are very ignorant and, you know, because he's the perfect casuals idol because cause he just looks so awesome, didn't he, in, in his pomp. You get people saying, oh, nobody, nobody stays with Prime Tyson. This He's the only fighter I know of who can be only, you're only allowed to judge him from a 17 month window in his career. <laughs> and everybody else is, you know, using the examples against anybody who might be one of his kind of mythical opponents in this kind of hypothetical game, they all get judged on the entirety of their careers. Tyson's mm. prime can't possibly include any fight he lost. So they do annoy me, but I still love... Some people, if you watch my kind of social media over the last 10 years, you'd, be, you'd think he doesn't like Tyson. He's a Mike Tyson debunker. He's a Mike Tyson hater. But I, I do love him, really. Good stuff. Uh, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you have to give him his props for being one of the most gifted fighters and hardest working and skilled fighters we've ever seen in the ring. You know, I, I don't think he's the greatest of all time based on, you know, his body of work and other factors that I think are important. But but Floyd, Gene Tunney once said that a successful prize fighter should have two aims in mind to make money and to avoid harm. By those lights alone, Floyd is definitely the greatest by Tunney's definition. He did it better than anybody ever did that. Amazing. Um Billy Joe Saunders. A, a special, special talent. You know, um, a mischievous personality, a loyal friend. You know, I mean, I'm not going to make out that we're blood brothers. We're not. But we spent a lot of time in the gym together over the years and have a good rapport. And when I when I had some problems at one point in my life, he was, he was loyal. Uh, so uh, I, I like Billy Joe. You know, I say he's, he's, an un, he's an unreconstructed travelling man, gypsy man, who's moves to the beat of his own drum. But I, I think he's a very good fighter. He's one of the best fighters I've seen up close working on a regular basis. And, um, you know, I, I think he's left his mark on uh, British boxing with whatever he decides to do. Spot on. And you'll be not surprised to hear the final name in the list is Jake and Logan Paul. 
<laughs> okay, um, you know what? Honestly, I don't know that much about them, except I know. I mean, I know that Logan Paul initially rose to boxing prominence because he boxed KSI, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And, and you know what? I know KSI. Well, I said I know him. I've met him. Um, mm. I, I spoke to him because he used to use West Ham Gym, which is from the f- flat I'm sitting in now. It's around the corner. And he used to use West Ham Gym because his trainer is a guy called Fid- uh, Videl Riley. Um who used to who had connections at West Ham Boxing Club, and he used to train KSI there. So when I said I wouldn't even recognise these guys, you know, when Billy Joe was boxing on their undercard, uh, one of the fights I was working with said, "You would? That's KSI in the gym, that black guy with the with the, you know, the hair." Yeah. And I said, "Oh, really? Is that him?" So then we had a conversation. All that he seemed like a nice fella, but but with Logan Paul, I, I all I know is I know Jake Paul is. Uh, he knocked out some MMA fighter recently in in a, in a boxing yeah. match, I believe. Yeah, Logan Paul, what can you say other than the fact that it was always coming? This is the this is the logical conclusion of, of everything we've built in this culture with social media now when everything is about perception, everything is about, you know, how many people are following you and, and how many, you know, how much traction you have on those all important platforms. And I suppose what we've found is we we've seen perhaps it exists in other walks of life too, but we've seen a phenomenon where some people can do anything they want to do if there's enough people willing to watch them do it, right? So, yes. I mean, I don't, I try not to get, I mean, obviously, I don't like the idea of them. I'm never going to, I'm never, they're never going to be considered as proper fighters by me, and I'm never going to give them any props. But, you know, obviously, um, I didn't see the fight with uh, Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather, but what I did see, I literally couldn't avoid some of it because I was scrolling through Instagram and I got this, um, uh, what was it, Dazone or whatever, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, the platform that, that showed some of it. And I saw Floyd getting hit with shots that you, that you wouldn't think he would have took in a million years unless he was taking them deliberately. But some people tell me, right? I may, if you watched it, please tell me your view. But some people tell me that Floyd literally, for you know, this age of his life, found him a bit of a handful because the guy was, if nothing else, so big. Yeah. And that Floyd wanted to knock him out but couldn't do it. Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's fair. Um, yeah. Look, I, I watched it because I had to for the show. Um, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. I didn't want to um, for men, you know, various reasons. Um, yeah. I think that's fair. Like Floyd Mayweather was never in any danger of, of you know being knocked out or anything like that. I don't think, but I do believe that Floyd Mayweather tried to finish the fight and couldn't. And couldn't do it, which is pretty yeah. damning and embarrassing, really. I don't care how much heavier and younger than you the guy is. If you can't mm-hmm. stop, essentially, a non-boxer. I mean, you, he, he remember him walking through that little Japanese dude um, on yeah, New Year's yeah. Day 2020, was it? Um, or yeah. New Year's Eve? He was a proper fighter, by the way, wasn't he? He was. I mean, he wasn't a, once again, he wasn't a Not boxer, a and he wasn't boxer, anywhere but... near the weight division that Floyd had most recently been in. He, he was tiny. But Floyd walked hit through him without like, ruthlessly, right? So, yeah. And I wondered if he was going to do the same with, with Logan Paul. But so I didn't watch it, and I... I I don't suppose I intend to, unless there's a professional reason like you had to watch it. Yeah. But, but some people are telling me that they think he, like you said, he wanted, he would have stopped him if he could have done, but couldn't do it. Which I think, if that's the case, I think it's it's damning enough on its own. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe, to have my opinion on that, to me, size does matter. And you've got in boxing, you have a lot of micro changes to change your weight divisions. In MMA, we have ma- massive. You know, several kilos. You know, before you change your weight division. Um, so it's, you know, what I can say is size does matter. And you got to think. You know, he's six foot two. 
and, and so heavy. And what happened in the fight was he was staying outwards, throwing a jab from down by his waist, um, you know, make a big advantage of being out on the outside and having the longer reach and being so tall comparison to Mayweather and soon as Mayweather was trying to get close to land shots for which he did he was getting tied up and smothered there was a lot of holding a lot of pressing his weight on him and um you know a lot, a lot of the things that would typically make you frustrated trying to watch a boxing match where you know two guys can really go at it skin on skill yet one of them's choosing to smother it somewhat it was frustrating to watch but certainly if there was going to be bo boxing outwardly it was going to be a matter of time before I think Mayweather would have landed consequentially enough to to put him down. But he was getting held a hell of a lot. And I think that was a surprise for Mayweather. Indeed, Mayweather was actually really complimentary of his experience against Logan in there. And he did say, you know, a few things surprised me. And one of those things was that he tied him up really, really well. Um, yeah. I think he did, did have a problem with the size, not so much outwardly. I think he had a problem with the size. that It was really draining on him, being <laughs> yeah. held and weighed in upon. Um, right. That was my take on it. But I'm not a boxing specialist you know, by any stretch. But when you got – I mean, he looked like a giant in there compared. And the only thing I would say, it, I th I'm pretty sure Duke McKenzie, who boxed at flyweight and, and you know, in <coughs> and weight, could knock out your average kind of 20-stone steroid steroid freak nightclub doorman with the gloves on. I think size matters when you're talking about fighters, but when you're talking about a YouTuber versus one of the... I know yes. Floyd is no spring chicken, but when you're talking about one of the greatest fighters of all time, certainly of the colour TV era, against a YouTuber, that's when mm. I think it, it really it shouldn't matter. But you know what? I guess the other argument would be, uh, you know, that Floyd could, could wasn't fully stepping on the gas. He, he could always claim that. It's a, it's a, I guess it's only a theory, um, and I don't have one because I didn't see it, that, that yeah. he, he couldn't have knocked him out if he'd have wanted to. Because one one thing which we knew anyway was that, you know, they... See, for me, this whole thing starts and ends with the audience. You can say that Mayweather's embarrassing boxing or he's, you know, ridiculing his legacy, etc. But it starts and ends with the audience, didn't it? doesn't it? If people didn't watch it, it wouldn't be a thing. Yeah, and, then, you know... And we wouldn't be talking about it. I mean, I just think yeah. it's a shame people haven't got more taste, but what are, what are we supposed to do except keep Indeed. plugging on in our own little yeah. way? Uh, I, just, you know, just to finish up on that, I thought Mayweather conducted himself brilliantly when he said his little piece in the ring and also afterwards as well. I think in the ring, he was very complimentary to, to the experience that he had in there and said about quite open about the difficulties he had in terms of trying to, like you know, gets his shot, get his shots off in there, gets a sizable big opponent. But also afterwards with the press, you know, he just said, "Look, at the end of the day, this is entertainment. I played you. I'm a winner all round. I've just hurt myself <laughs> hundred million." And yeah. and he basically was saying, "Look, this is nothing more than entertainment. We played you as if this was kind of a set up thing where that, that perhaps he wasn't even trying to knock him out, and it so was never on the cards." So is ultimately then it's a shame people are that thick, isn't it? Because yeah. I mean, I, I have many. That's failings. what he was he I have said many you're failings you're and I'm not given to false pride, but but I'm not. Yeah. If everyone was like me, they wouldn't make a dime. So that's the one. <laughs> that's the one kind of piece of credit I'm going to give myself. I would not have facilitated that. That height. There you go. <laughs> so um, first and foremost, Ben, thank you very much for giving us a bit of extra time because I did tell you we'd be like 45 minutes or so. But uh, I appreciate Mind that massively, mate. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's uh, and I got to say the feedback. Uh, and YouTube comments and Facebook and everything has been phenomenal. A uh, few people saying get Ben back on be, to be yeah. a boxing guy. So there you go. 
I'm up for any time, guys. Honestly, any time. I mean, I'm, I am at a bit of a loss end with the social media at the minute, with the pandemic and all that. I didn't yeah, really, yeah. really strategize anything. If you want to, if you want to make this more regular or to see what we can do, I'm, I'm all over it. Honestly. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. good, mate. Um, ben, tell the people where because you've got um, this new Instagram thing. Tell uh, the people a bit about it and where they can find it. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got a, a, a normal channel on Instagram, uh, Ben Desi Boxing, but I recently started another channel called Doughty and McGowan Unboxing. It's headed up by myself and uh, professional boxing coach of note, Julian McGowan, who's got one of the one of the best boxing IQs of, of anybody I know, and I've obviously known a fair few. Uh, great trainer, great boxing man, and we've been doing this thing where we just go live and, and and have live chats about about whatever it might be that's going on in boxing or something of a more historical nature. Because Instagram has enabled itself to do three ways, like we're doing here, and, and, and even four put face on the screen, we've started to invite guests. You know, we, we will continue to do that. So, yeah, that's Doughty and McGowan on Boxing on Instagram. If, you, if you've enjoyed tonight, um, and this is your sort of cup of tea, then, then maybe give that a follow, and we'll you'll get some more of it. Absolutely, and I, what I'll do is I'll um, I'll drop that in the comments as well, so people can just click it and find it. Um, but um, yeah, Ben, absolute pleasure, mate. Me and Danny now we're going to talk UFC 263 from last night. So uh, don't go anywhere, guys, and uh, spread the word as always. But a big thank you, Ben Doty, and uh, we'll I'll speak to you soon, mate. But thank you again Cheers for coming on the show, Cheers, mate. Danny. Cheers, Cheers, Ben. Cheers. Wow, what a treat! Yeah, what a treat! And like I said to you, mate, proper knowledgeable guy when it comes to uh, to boxing and whatnot. Really, yeah, uh, knows his stuff like and yeah, really good feedback, mate. At one point, um, I think about half hour in, there was like 140 odd people watching on YouTube, and wow. people were really enjoying it. Some great comments, and uh, and hopefully, they'll be uh, hanging around and coming back for the and you've got to remember, mate, as well, we're like we're competing with the football as well, we're not normally live, so I wasn't expecting. Uh, you know, huge numbers for a couple of weeks because people are getting used to finding us in a new slot. But uh, UFC right. 263, mate, that main card, wow. Oh, wow. Wow. It, it had all sorts, didn't it? Um, yeah, it was just, it was great. I really enjoyed it. So entertaining. Um, I want to just touch on uh, Joe, Jojo Calderwood, Scots lady, uh, for Lauren Murphy. Uh, she lost by a split decision. I thought it was absolutely disgraceful. I was not oh, happy. Really? Um, Laura Murphy won the second round comfortably, but Jojo Calderwood clearly won the rest. And right. it felt very much like, you know, like the old um, kind of like boxing hometown judges where right. they give it to the, like the Mexican or the American yeah. or the UK guy. It did feel very much like that because I shame. really really felt like Jojo Calderwood did more than enough to win. But right. it is what it is. Unfortunately, there's just the way it is. Um, so, yeah, it didn't it, the Brits didn't get off to a good start. Joanne Calderwood lost on the prelims. Uh, also, Darren Stewart lost by unanimous decision on the prelims to Eric Anders. I think right. I said in the, our predictions on the last show, um, Eric Anders is a real good fighter. Yeah, um, that's right. Tough, tough fight for um, Darren Stewart. But... Um, Paul Craig uh, came in rank 14 versus the highly rated uh, Jamahal Hill to kick off the main card. Um, yeah. And Jamahal Hill is on, like, a, I think he said in his post fight interviews, hasn't lost for 12 years. And right. um, 
you know he just he was so complimentary about uh paul craig saying how you know basically it wasn't it was his turn to lose and paul craig was exceptional and a boy oh boy i thought paul craig was very very good uh but how did you find this one mate yeah i mean i i, I said for paul craig to win so it's one of the ones i got right on my predictions I actually did well on the predictions for this uh event yeah, Paul Craig, he's just on top of the world right now, isn't he? I think some of the wins that he's had in recent times have grown him in confidence. And wow, those ground submissions were like someone half his body weight. They were quick, tight, oh, and And, I mean, look at the state of, of, of Hill's arm. Uh, did you see it? It was, it was oh, dangling in that triangle. It was oh, sickening to watch. In many yeah, he defended the referee, though, uh, Jamahal Hill did. He said it was not the referee's fault. He wasn't tapping. He was trying no. to get his arm to do something, and it wasn't working. Right. Yeah, they do say that in you know in the warm-up room. They said, you know, if you want to go asleep with a choke that's you know on you, if you want to take it as far as your arm snapping, you're a professional athlete, you know, that, that's on you as mm -hmm. well. But obviously, you know, I think had that been, say, a bell went for the end of the round, obviously the fight would be called off medically. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what, what I think. But, you know, let's not talk about the, the unfortunate end in regards to this, yeah. this sort of that rare injury that you'll see in that sort of situation. Paul Craig's grappling. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It was just incredible. It was so, so sharp. And, you know, you said it yourself, you know, Jeremy Wheels not lost in 12 years. Really devastating. But I don't know. Paul Craig, he's just reached, he's reaching his peak right now. He's absolutely on it. And I hope they give him a, a step up uh, in opponents now to try and make a push for a title run. 100% mate, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting uh, what uh, where they go with him next. But um, the next fight up was Abel El Mohamed defeating Damian Meyer via unanimous decision. Um, look, Damian Meyer is a, a legend of MMA in the fight game overall. Um, and I am not, look, I'm not one to tell fighters when they should or shouldn't retire, but I think it's time for Damian to go and enjoy his life. I really do. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. He certainly it was a good fight for Belal Mohammed, though, Med. Yeah, it was. And uh, Damian Myers not disgracing himself with his no, no, of course. Um, by any stretch, I think Anderson Silva went on longer than he should by far more than Damian Meyer. Uh, Damian well, Myers. That's what no, I don't want him to do. If that makes no, sense, that's right, I want to avoid that. Yeah, it's not. Um, Damian Myers kind of like a, a bit of a difficult puzzle, but once you've done the puzzle once, it's easy. To, to sort of like get through the puzzle thereafter. He's mm. a little bit like that. I think at first it was a little tricky to, to get around the problem he was posing that there was no secrets about where he wanted to fight. He was getting it there and he was really effective there. But nevertheless, once a few people sussed out sort of that he shoots in just on that lead leg and he's quite limited in his wrestling. Uh, yeah, I think for the top tier coach teams and, and, and top tier fighters, it's not that it's an easy night, but 
is easy what you've got to do. It's easy to prepare for. And Bilal was clearly well prepared. And um, it didn't make short work of it by any stretch, but it just made it look like Damien Mywood just had no way of keeping it in the zone that he needed to. He briefly got Bilal down, didn't he? And Bilal was just amazing at getting back up and thereafter was amazing at staying up. Um, maybe I was expecting Damian Mar to fade to such a degree that maybe Bilal could push with his cardio that we know he's got to, to get the finish. You know, so props to Damian Mar for keep pushing and grinding with those takedown attempts, even though he's utterly failing in rounds two and three. You know, he kept on pushing it to such that, it, you know, it stopped him being disgraced on the feet and getting knocked the, knocked the hell out like I thought that might happen. So, yeah. but yeah, I, th I think to retire on that fight is not a disgrace. Um, maybe they could give him a, 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 a token fight that we know he's capable of winning, um, just to draw the line on a positive note. But I don't think this would be a negative note by any stretch of someone like Bilal, who to me is a top five fighter in his weight division all day long anyways. Um, yeah, we'll yeah, see what this happens. Was, this was a good fight for Bilal after the disappointment of the... Um, yeah. Leon Edwards fight and look even in that short before the eye accidental eye poke yeah. um you know Belal did all right but it was clear that Leon Edwards yeah. was a, a step above at the moment I would say yeah. because I think there's potential there for them to meet further down the road um, yeah the next up was Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz but I don't want to talk about that just yet mate if that's no. okay with you that's I want to save that one um, we had Brandon Moreno defeated the champion, uh, Davison Figueredo, by submission. Uh, rear naked choke, two and a half minutes into the third round for the flyweight championship. Um, this was incredible. Um, Brandon Moreno um, was kicked out, or like he didn't, he lost in the ultimate fighter, so he was out of the UFC. Then he was signed by the UFC after taking a last minute fight, lost, and was out on the outs again. Less than five years later, he's now the UFC champion. That yes. is a story, I yeah. think. Yeah. Well, you know, um, like many of the athletes, they're Never learning a trade on the top, so to speak. And he's one such character that's done it and to great effect. Um, this is another one that, you know, from my bragging rights, that I predicted that he would get the win. Um, he really impressed me when he fought Figueroa last time around. And I just feel like Figueroa's reached his peak. Um you know, he, he's getting to the point where he's going to like lose that edge through, you know, to father time. And in that weight division, I think it matters more with regards to your age. When I've just seen younger, hungrier uh, guy that's continued to improve his skill set, so he's a little harder to prepare for. I think with Figueredo, he is what he is. He's got what he's got, which is a hell of a lot. I mean, he poses many, many problems to solve for any fighter in that division. And, you know, he's shown his effectiveness over the recent years. But Marino is coming up the ranks. He's uh, still growing in his skill sets. And you never know what new combination he's going to come with and what new surprises he's going to have for you. And I felt that that's what gave him the the edge that night. He just had a little bit more tricks up his sleeve with striking, had a little bit more tricks up his sleeves regards getting it to the ground, tricks up his sleeve with some ground transitions and so on and so forth. He was just more evolved and, and, and unpreparable for and I thought that's where Figueroa was um, losing out on um, but great to watch Figueroa had no disgrace he's still absolutely legit and could end up fighting Moreno down the line if he wants to continue I think that's absolutely possible I don't think there's many people in that division still that can beat Figueroa even though I think he is at the cusp of where he will slowly slip down the ranks at some point in the next coming years if he continues 
uh, to be active over the next two, three years. Uh, but I think they could end up fighting again at some point. But Moreno's amazing. Um, real family style. Great, great fighter. Yeah, great story as well. Um, really enjoyed it. Just a phenomenal fight. Right. Um, we had Leon Edwards, ranked number three, versus Nate Diaz in a five-round uh this was just a banger, mate. I think it's the only way to describe it. Leon yeah. Edwards proved to the world that he is, without doubt, one of the best fighters at his weight, and he deserves yeah. a title shot. He deserved a title shot way before this fight, but this just cemented the yeah. fact that, one, he deserves a title shot. Two, Nate Diaz, no matter what you throw at him, there's a reason why no matter if he loses or he wins, the UFC always keeps him because he just puts on these incredible fights that are just yep. so entertaining to watch. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, they can put your way. No, no, no matter what your rank is, he, he can put your way still, even at 36 years old. And I just feel like he is lacking in the modern day perspective in completion of his skill set. Hasn't got the greatest takedown defence. He hasn't got the greatest takedowns in his game. Lacks a little bit in the kicking and so on and so forth. But he's just, um, as the young people say in the gym, such a G. You know, mm. he's he's a fighter through and through. Um, gutsy. Always comes in condition. And always throws down. Uh, he's just such entertainment. It really, really is. You're never, ever going to get a boring fight with this guy. And I know that many people, as I know, that he's probably not even top 10 anymore. You know, that's the truth of the matter. But, you know, many of the people that would be at the top 10 to step in the top 10 will get demolished. But he always makes a fight of it no matter what. It was really good entertainment. But, you know, let's not focus on the fact that, okay, Nate did great, and, and but he lost nevertheless. But Leon Edwards, you know, the way he was doing the takedowns, the way he was patient but always doing enough, um, which is something you've got to think about when you're fighting Nate. You know, he throws punches in bunches, but he hit the legs at the right time. He was throwing body shots at the right time, headshots at the right time, takedowns, clinches at the right time. He made so many good decisions. Um, and a lot of people might say, oh, well, you know, Leon Edwards got really rocked and could have got finished in the last round. You've got to remember, this is five rounds with Nate Diaz that's got incredible boxing prowess he is very very effective in those championship rounds i think he's quite an ineffective fighter over three rounds but over five rounds he's dangerous for anyone and with the amount of volume that was thrown from both of them i'm not surprised that leon edwards got rocked at some point but the fact that he got rocked just towards the end of that fifth round still to me is something that you have to put as a compliment to leon edwards it was amazing and that, that double leg kick to trip him away that he kept nailing time time again which is the problem with that boxing stance you know when you're turning your lead foot in you're allowing access to that rear leg as well that's why you're getting he's going to get kicked off his feet um yeah i mean it was it was really really impressive man get leon title fight. I, I don't know what else to say we keep banging on about it and, and this was a great fight for him. i'm sure he made a lot of money and that's great but this guy, for my money, should be fighting for titles time and time again. Let's just get that title fight on. Yeah. But I've got a feeling they're going to give it to Covington, and I don't think no, that's right. I think um, before this fight, they were going to. Um, after this fight, I believe that he's going to get I the really next so. shot. Just because of some of the comments that have been made since. Yeah. Um, oh. and, and the performance overall. I mean, honestly, uh, 
Leon Edwards just be a true great of the modern era of MMA. Yes. Um, and he beat him comfortably, let's be honest. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Um, anyone can get rocked, um, especially by a fighter like Nate Diaz. And Leon Edwards, you know, he wasn't in any danger of losing the fight, I don't think. At that point, he was just rocked, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was sensational by Leon Edwards. Um, and from a British point of view, you know, Leon Edwards won four rounds to one against Nate, Nate Diaz. Let's yeah. not forget, Nate Diaz has got a win over Conor McGregor. Um, yeah. Among other people, you know, among many sure. other people. So, yeah. um, the main event of the evening, there was definitely a bit of needle in this one. Um, they do not like each other. I do not want to see this fight ever again. Israel Adesanya defeated Marvin Vittori by unanimous decision, 50-45, sorry, across the card, to retain the middleweight title. Um, as you know, mate, I don't, I don't ever want to be disrespectful to fighters, but how Marvin Vittori thought that he won this fight is beyond me. And yeah. he was arguing with his coaches as they were telling him to you know, do something different and change things up. That is a problem for me. Well, I don't know what he was doing, but go on, you'd give me your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Vittori was just coming up short. Um, I think if Vittori, as he is now, fought Adesanya as he was when they first fought, I think, you know, we, we would have seen a much closer fight. But Adesanya, I think, particularly after his last experience that he had with his first ever loss going up a weight, um, I think you know, we had seen holes in his capabilities to get back to his feet and his grappling um, off his back. Um, he did get tested and put on his back, and it showed that he has acquired some skills to get back to his feet. And so, you know, Adesanya is doing the right thing, which is making himself even more complete. Uh, so that's nothing but, but but a good thing, right? You know, he has yeah, got holes in the game, and he's closing off those holes. And it's just going to make him even harder to beat in his division. I just, yeah, he's just very, very, very dominant. And Vittori's done great. I mean, we could end up seeing them fight again sometime in the future. Really, Vittori's improved now. I know stylistically, it just makes for a ball fest. It's not particularly great. Vittori, I, I was a big fan of Vittori before this fight. Um, he lost me. I didn't like some yeah. of his attitude in the uh, right. in the build up. He was he called uh, Adesanya a boy. Um, which I didn't like at all. Yeah. Um, and just some other stuff. And then the arguing with his coach and and kind of refusing to acknowledge that he was getting frustrated. Yeah, he, he, it, it, almost like he's frustrated and, and, and the childistic response is denial almost. Yeah. Um, because surely he can't. I, I can't see how he thinks that he really truly won that. I can't. You look at it. The fact that he was shooting in the, the amount, he, he knew he had to try and change something up and get into the ground. He knew he wasn't winning on the feet and he just wasn't getting it and keeping it on the ground enough. He must have known that he was behind. And I just think he was great and didn't want to give the satisfaction for Adesanya. Um, and that's a real shame, you know. Adesanya in the past, Adesanya in the past has not always ignited my interest as a, a natural fan it really hasn't put on but, some good fights put on some bad fights haven't he i think yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know i can't take anything away from the guy you know he's an incredible striker and um, and he's come over to mma and he's avoiding the areas that he's weak in um, but he is strengthening those areas that he's weak in 
and he's still proving to be dominant. And I've got to respect him for that. I think he's he's doing great, and I can't see anyone stopping him in that division anytime soon. Right now, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he has another punt at the next weight division up again, and that may well happen. Uh, but I think maybe he just bit off more than he could chew by going up a weight against someone so good. Uh, yeah. I think come on, if you're going to go up a weight, particularly from middle to light heavy, I think you need to almost like as if you've just come into the UFC and, and grow your game into that top 15. But to go and reach for your first fight. Yeah, that, that, that's a, he's done very, very well overall when you consider it. But uh, maybe a bit off the bit. Well, he did. He bit off more than he can chew. I'd like to see it as your maybe, you know, cover over two weight divisions to keep himself active. Because I think that a lot of his successes that he has stayed active not overly so but certainly not having you know vast yeah. number of months out of the game at any one time and i think it's just keeping him sharp and he's evolving and i like what i see with him i think he's just fermenting his position um in that weight division i think you could perhaps see some records being broke regards the amount of times that he'll defend that title because i can't see anyone approaching someone will come Ned. someone will come it's they just at come. the moment you right just now, can't see it that's a good couple of years away, and he's going to rack up some title defences in that time. Um, particularly if he doesn't choose to go up a weight and spread some of his fight time uh, another weight. You know, it's all going to be based on just defending his title. Yeah. In which case, it's going to fast approach him breaking records there, I think. Absolutely. So, uh, just quickly do some predictions for some of the bigger fights next week uh, on the UFC uh, Vegas card. But uh, one thing I will say is um, thank you again to Ben Doty for joining us. Um, and what we might do is we might get Ben back on every time there's big boxing news and uh, boxing yeah. stories to talk about. Um, because I just think it helps to have someone very knowledgeable talking about uh, about boxing. The boxing side yeah. of it is the fight show, not the MMA show. Um, we right. were very, you know, we rebranded it from the MMA show to the fight show because we wanted to include boxing. Um, right. So it makes sense to have someone who we can get on who's you know it, it can speak well is incredibly knowledgeable um so if ben's up for that then definitely uh we'll yeah, yeah. get him back on but um we will be back next sunday eight o'clock live so please do spread the word join us um we will have another guest with us likely to be from the mma world but you never know uh but we'll definitely have someone with us um so we got korean zombie versus dan Eag next week mate who you got there yeah. Um, Danny really impressed me last time out and um, you know Zombie lost his last fight although you know it's still good performance uh, I'm going to go Danny Iggy uh, uh, yeah I, I'm, I'm going to stick with that yeah absolutely no, it's, not, it's not 100% concrete because Zombie's yeah. such a great fighter as well but I'm, I'm going to stick with Dan on this one yeah I'm going uh, Korean Zombie uh, we've got Alexi Alonyanek versus Sergei Spivak at heavyweight yeah I think Olinex is just getting past it now. Um, mm. yeah, he's still got tricks up his sleeve. He's a grinder. I just don't like seeing the way he strikes. It's just really uncomfortable to watch. Um, not a young man anymore. I I'm going to go Spivak on this one. Uh, yeah, I think Spivak's going to win, but I'm going to say Olinex uh, just for the sake of competition, mate. But I do think Spivak will probably win. Yeah. Um, and then there was another fight I was really interested in. Um, ah, yes, welterweight bout between Matt Brown and Diego Lima, uh, who's yeah. obviously uh, Douglas Lima lost his yeah. title last night. 
Yeah, this is time actually, to talk about that. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting matchup. Um, I think it's pretty close between them both. I mean, Matt Brown's clearly not in, in his prime anymore, but it still impresses me. And I think Lima's still lacking a little bit in, in being a complete MMIS. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to go Matt Brown. Yeah, I go, I'll go Diego Lima. Why not? Yeah. Um, okay, guys, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you to everyone who uh, joined us, June. And I appreciate football's on. It's difficult. But I appreciate people coming to join us for a, a very fun show, talking boxing and MMA. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll have another guest with us. But in the meantime, give us a follow on social media. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, most importantly. And, uh, of course... Look out for the audio version of this show, which will be out probably later tonight, maybe in the morning. Um, but I'll, I'll put that up on the social media platforms. Uh, Danny, as it ever, mate, absolute pleasure. Yeah, yeah, um, pleasure as well, Si. What a banger. I mean, I enjoy every week. I really, really do. So I've got nothing against any of the guests that we've had on previous. But, wow, what a treat. You really pulled it out of the bag, having Ben Dozzy on. It was, uh, yeah, was super interesting for me. It was great. Top draw, right? Little treat, as they say. Yes. Um, right, see you uh, next Sunday, eight and eight yeah. said Wednesday. See you next Sunday, eight o'clock <laughs> live. Ace Podcast Nation, spread the word, tell your friends. Later. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.